0: Well, these are the questions that we've been wrestling with uh, as a church family as we've taken up the study of Christianity Explain: What is a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Who is Jesus? What do we believe about Him? What does the Bible teach about Him? At the very beginning, we said that He is the Son of God who has authority over all things. The Bible clearly teaches that He died on the cross for our sins in our place and that He didn't just die. He rose again on the third day. And a follower of Christ, a Christian, believes these things, that Jesus is the Son of God, who has a rightful claim on our life, that He really did die on the cross for our sins as a substitute, and He rose again from the dead, and that we believe that we're saved not by our own good works. We don't come into this relationship with God on the basis of good things we've done, but we come in by His grace. It's a gift. And today we're going to end this series by wrapping it up with the teaching that Jesus gives and that his followers give as they continue to herald the good news of God's love for us in Christ and telling us, here's what we need to do in response to what we've heard. So in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, Mark writes this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And we're going to talk about those two words, those two responses that Jesus calls a follower to make, repentance and faith, this morning. So a follower of Christ turns away from sin, that's repentance, and a follower of Christ turns in faith to Christ. So first we're going to talk about repentance, and I think there's a lot of confusion about both of these, but probably more so about this concept of repentance, the word repent. When you hear that word, I don't know what's conjuring up in your mind. For a lot of people, it may be a bony finger sticking in your face, someone that looks like they're really mad at you, telling you, you've got to repent or you're going to go to hell. You got on. Oh, that just like weirds me out. I don't, I don't like that picture. Well, what is this stuff called repentance? Well, it's really interesting when you look at the word in the original language. It's a compound word made up of two words. The first word is the word we're very familiar with in English, meta. It means to change, like metamorphosis. The next word is the word mind. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. In, in a very real sense, it's a U-turn. where We have a change of our thinking that leads to a change of our living, of our behavior. So let me tell you my version of repentance, okay? Junior high. Scrawny little kid. I want my friends to like me. And so I'm just very conscious of what the cool kids in school are doing, right? And I noticed the cool kids at Haven Junior High School were smoking. So I wanted to be cool, I didn't smoke, and I thought, well maybe smoking will get me in with the cool kids. So I went home. And I remembered that my parents had got these little this little pack of cigarettes from like one of the airlines. Can you believe this? The airlines used to give people courtesy packs of cigarettes so they could exchange secondhand smoke in the cabin. What a great idea. And my parents didn't smoke, so I don't know why they saved it, but I guess they were savers, and they put it in the front closet in with the hats and mittens and gloves. So I remember we had cigarettes. So I grabbed the cigarettes, grabbed a pack of matches, and I went back behind the garage. You know, that's where junior high kids get in a lot of trouble. So I'm in the back behind the garage, and I'm holding this thing, right? And I'm going, this is cool. I'm cool, and I'm doing this, and I'm feeling, you know, kind of just trying that. And then I go, well, wait a minute. These kids actually light this thing up, and they smoke it. So I light it up, and with all my junior high bravado, I do this. And I repented right there. I had a change of mind that led to a change of action. I thought, man, this is terrible. This is going to kill me. This is stupid. This is not cool. Never smoked a cigarette again in my life. I'm thinking, man, you, you don't have to get this effect. By paying money for cigarettes, you can just get near a car that's, you know, parked and and the motor's on and get your mouth there near the muffler (laughs) and breathe in. You'll get the same thing for free. So really, that was it. I repented. A change of mind. This isn't cool. This is dumb. I don't like it. it. Led to a change of action. Never in my life again have I smoked a cigarette. That's what we're talking about here when we talk about repentance, a change of mind that now leads to a whole different way of living, of acting out our lives. Here's what we don't want to think repentance is. It's not being sorry for getting caught. Yeah, that's the kid who got their hand caught in the cookie jar. Mom said, no more cookies. You're going to spoil your dinner. And she caught you. you go, man, sorry, Mom. And what you're really saying is, I'm sorry I got caught, and I'm going to be a little more sneaky and careful next time. It's not that. It's not just an admission of wrong, of guilt. It's a lot more than just admitting it. It's not measured by our tears, as we will see, but by our obedience. And it's not something that we just do once, where we say, yeah, I did that. I I repented. It's not just that. So, what is it? It's turning from sin back to God. What are the marks of that change? Well, here's the stuff of repentance. There's four Cs. If you're taking notes, the first C is this, a change of allegiance. It's recognizing... That as I'm living my life, I'm moving in a direction away from God. My allegiance has not been with him. If it were, I'd be walking towards God, following him. My allegiance has been to myself. My allegiance has been to something, to someone else. And in turning, I'm recognizing that I'm going to change my allegiance now from myself or others to Christ. To change I'm going to live not for my own desires, but for His will. Not for my glory and praise, but for His honor and praise. Change of allegiance, first C. Second C is this, confession of our sin. Now, for most of us, when we think about word association, we think repent, we think confess. And it certainly is a part of true repentance. Confession, what is that? It's agreeing with God what He already knows. God, I've... I've rejected your lead in my life. I've doubted your goodness and I've flat out, eyes wide open, I've disobeyed your word. Sometimes it wasn't eyes wide open. I didn't realize it, but I now agree with you that this is who I am. I'm a sinner and what I've done is wrong. And it's honest. Now, the natural tendency of the human condition is that we hide sin. It's as old as Adam and Eve in the garden, hiding out, covering up, blaming. That's the natural response to sin. And the proverb says this in Proverb 28, 13. He who conceals his sin does not prosper. If that's our disposition towards what we do when we've done wrong is to cover it up, to do our own kind of gate, whatever it's called, version of our own life and our own wrong, to cover it up, then the Bible says you're not going to prosper. It's not going to go well with you. But whoever confesses and renounce them finds mercy. And it's an honest confession. And I find that in my life, there have been a lot of times where I'm not honest in my confession. So sometimes it's gone like this. Hey, hon, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I didn't mean what I said. Well, you know, actually I did mean what I said. And that's the truth of what just happened. What I said was wrong. What I said was hurtful. And, and, I, and I actually meant to do that. I meant to hurt somebody who was close to me and that I loved. And so it's, it's honest before God of who we are. It's honest about our motives. It's not kind of covering it up. It's full disclosure. God, this is who I am. You know it. And I'm just coming before you to say it. The third C. When you have that kind of honest confession before God, it brings a sorrow. I mean, it's one thing to say to your spouse, man, I'm sorry for what I said. I know it hurts you. But it's another thing to go, and man, I meant to do that. It breaks your heart that man, I I did that to someone I love. And contrition is the third C. It's contrition. It's a genuine remorse and sorrow over our sin. God, I'm sorry I've done this. I mean, there's a great picture, I think, of contrition. It's Peter who's in the in the courtyard. He's he's just kind of in the shadows, and Jesus is being tried. And, and people start recognizing his Galilean accent. And they, they start recognizing, hey, hey, hey! weren't you with Jesus in the garden? I, I think you're one of his, his band, aren't you? He says, no, I'm not with him. I don't know the guy. He does it three times. And just as Jesus predicted, he said, before the, the rooster crows three times, two times, you're going to deny me three times. And then all of a sudden, he hears the rooster. And the scripture tells us his heart is broken, and he's weeping, and he runs out of that. And what a picture of contrition. But here's the deal that the Bible talks about. That tears are a tricky thing. So you don't really know the true nature of your own repentance through the measure of how much you've cried over what you've done. Tears are a very tricky thing in the scripture. The Bible says there's a kind of tears and sorrow that is a worldly sorrow. It leads to death. But there is a kind of remorse and sorrow that actually leads to true change and it saves Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 7. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, he's referring to a harsh letter he wrote them, but because your sorrow led you to repentance, to change. For you became sorrowful as God intended and so were not harmed in any way by us. And here it is. Godly sorrow brings repentance, brings change that leads to salvation and leaves no regrets. But worldly sorrow brings death and the reason it leads to death is because we're not willing to change and we keep heading down this path that leads just to that to destruction so godly sorrow leads to change that saves us because we turn around so what's the difference here's the difference the difference is worldly sorrow is so focused on ourselves. It's so focused on this new reality of our lives. There's, there's a whole slew of new consequences now that I've been found out. Maybe my trust in my marriage has been completely obliterated. And I don't like that my wife doesn't trust me. She's always questioning me. I don't like it. I'm sorrowful that my reputation isn't what it used to be. It's a very self-focused, focused on the consequences. That has now changed my life. Whereas a godly sorrow. Sees that what we've done, we've done against God. What we've done is, we've done it against somebody else. And we're sorry for that. We don't want to continue in that path. We change. So tears, indeed, are a tricky thing. But the scriptures tell us it's a broken and contrite heart that marks someone who's repentant. And the final C, then, is a commitment to obey. Here we understand that repentance is an ongoing thing in the life of a Christ follower. We don't just say, hey man, I did did, that, I did that, I repented. No, I I repented and I'm going to continue to turn away. So if we're a follower of Christ who's repented, well then what marks our life going forward is we continue every day to turn away. And we know, any of us who've followed Christ for a while, we don't do that perfectly, do we? There's times where our attitudes and our words and our actions, they're, they're turning back to, to the old way. They're not walking with Christ. But even at that point, we admit it. We're sorry for that, and we commit ourselves, God, help me to obey you. Help me to take the right path here. It's the stuff that Peter was, Paul was talking about regarding his own preaching. He said, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. He said, repentance is proved. He didn't say by their words, and he didn't say by your tears. He said, talk is cheap. I'm going to know if there's truly a heart change in your life because I'm going to see it. It's what John the Baptist talks about when he says, bring forth the fruit of repentance in Matthew 3.8. You actually see a heart that's changed because it now manifests in a life that bears out those changes. So, how does that happen? How do we have that profound turning in our life where we move from a direction away from God to God? Living life on our own to living life under His lead and leadership. How does that happen? Well, the Bible is real clear about how it happens. The Bible says it happens through the kindness of God. Romans 2 4, look at this verse. <laughs> Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? It's the kindness of God that we encounter that changes us. So what does that kindness look like? Well, God's kindness comes to us sometimes through the work of the Holy Spirit, who's working in conjunction with the Word of God to convict our heart that the direction you're going, Mark, that's wrong, that's bad, that way is going to kill you. And so the Holy Spirit comes in convicting the world of sin, John says, in John sixteen eight. Actually, John's quoting Jesus here. John sixteen eight. We have that verse? Okay, I'll read it here. Um, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what the Spirit's job is, one of His jobs. And so one of the kindnesses, one of the ways God's kindness brings change is through the Spirit convicting our conscience. That's wrong. Here's another way God's kindness works. It works as God allows us to hit bottom. I mean, really hit bottom, where there's no other place to look but up, and all we see is a loving God whose merciful hand is outstretched to us, and we go, okay, God, you got my attention. And for a lot of us in this room, we would say, that's when the change happened in my life. Man, that's when I took a complete U-turn in my life. I had so bottomed out that there was only one way to look, and it was up, and my life changed. It's the story that Jesus tells about the prodigal son. This guy really hits bottom. So he's a young guy. He's in this little pop stand town, and he wants out. He wants the big city. He wants to live. And he says, Dad... I know you got an inheritance for me. And and I know you were not planning to give it to me till, you know, after you died, but you know what? I would like to live. So can I have it now? And his son his father says, "Yeah, you can have it now." So he goes off and he goes this far away country and lives in the city, and man, is he living it up. He was living it up a little too much because he blows it all in a few short weeks. All of a sudden he's got no money. He's got no friends now. He's got no work. He's got no way to to even get the next meal. And so he hires himself out as a slave, and he finds himself a Jewish man feeding a bunch of animals that the scriptures have always taught were unclean. He's feeding pigs, and it just gets lower and lower. And all of a sudden, he's looking at the pigs, and he realizes, those pigs got more food than I've got. And he gets a little lower when he realizes, that food looks pretty good to me. And the Bible says he came to his senses at that time. All of a sudden, things got really clear in his mind. He says, man, I think I could go back and live as a servant in my father's house and it would be better off than what I'm doing here. And so I'm not worthy to be a son, but I'll go back and ask him to indenture me as a servant. He hits bottom. And as he hits bottom, he comes to his senses, the kindness of God. That allow us to hit bottom. Some of us are on this ladder and we're crashing through the rungs, this wooden ladder, and we're breaking through, we're breaking through, wondering, Man, is this it? Is this it? Is this bottom? Is this bottom? And what's it gonna take? What's well, gonna get what it's gonna take is you to surrender to God's mercy and his kindness to look up and to reach out for his merciful hand that wants to rescue you from your colossal plunge that's heading towards disaster. Well, here's another way God's kindness works. It works when God's kindness gives us a glimpse of where our life and actions are taking us. And usually the way that God gives us that glimpse is through somebody else who's kind of on your path, kind of making those same kinds of decisions, has, has those kinds of friends or whatever it is, and all of a sudden in, in their life, you're getting a little snapshot of where you're going and you go, man, I don't like that. It's like Tim Keller, Pastor Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City, his his brother in law, who never wore a seatbelt, all of a sudden starts wearing a seatbelt. Keller sees him and he says, "What well, man, what's up? What's up? You've never worn a seatbelt. He said, Well, my buddy just put his head through a windshield. He's got two hundred and thirteen stitches in his head, his face. I mean, I always knew about it. I, I knew, you know, there's some risk involved. Now now I saw it. And I saw what could happen to me if if I continue to drive in cars without a seatbelt on. And God in His grace, maybe this week, maybe it's your good friend, maybe it's someone in the office, maybe it's a family member. All of a sudden, their world just fell apart, and you, you're to connect the dots and you're going, I'm on that same path. It could happen to me. It's all God's kindness that brings us to change. And the cool thing is the scriptures say Jesus is the kindness of God, Titus 3, 4. And so what brings that kind of change? It's God's kindness to us in Christ through his spirit, through hitting bottom, through giving us a glimpse of where we're heading. The Bible tells us that God really wants that change and desires it for everyone. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's desire is for you to have a change of mind. That's going to be up to you as you respond to his kindness today. And here's what will happen when you make that change of mind. The Bible says you will receive forgiveness. We're forgiven, Acts 3.19. Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. The psalmist says as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed his, our sins from us. You come clean before God, acknowledging your sin and your need for him, and he will wipe away your sin. And that times of refreshment will come. That's what he says in, in Acts 3.19. We're strengthened. That's the idea behind the word refreshing. We're strengthened by God. We're strengthened in our character, in our faith. And there's joy. There's our joy. There's God's joy. There's all of heaven's joy. And Jesus says this about heaven's joy. Luke 15, 10. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the question is, have you done that? Have you changed? Are you continually turning away from sin? Here's a couple of questions, maybe to help you ferret that out in your own heart and life. Do I gladly embrace Jesus as my Lord, the ruler and king of my life in every area of my life? I mean, the deal is, he's not a category in our life now that kind of like comes into the living room. We go, man, it's great to see you in the living room, Jesus. And I love meeting you in the living room, but don't get into the other rooms of my life. Don't don't get into my money. Don't get into what I do on the internet. Don't get into my sensuality or sexuality. Don't get into my kids. We we start having these little pockets of resistance where you say, You can have all of me except this, this, this. That that's not what it is. It's all of my life surrendered to him. Is that how it is? Embracing His Lordship in all of my life? Am I giving in to temptation? Or resisting it more? Am I deliberately disobeying God? And do those words of peace and refreshment and joy describe the stuff of my inner life? Man, it can. It can. There's got to be somebody here that's haunted with guilt right now. I mean, that thing is just weighing on you and you can't get rid of it. The joy of sin's forgiveness is that he's lifted this weight, this weight where we know it's wrong and we don't know what to do and how to get rid of it. We can't crowd it out with noise and busyness and we can't work it off with our good deeds. It's still there turning away from that confessing it to God and having him wipe it away you can do that right now right now and Jesus says look if you want to be my follower that's what you got to do you can't just follow me you got to turn away from what you've been following you got to have a change of allegiance you got to confess it you got to be sorrowful over it and you now got to commit yourself by my grace to follow me with all your heart so that gets to the second thing and that's this whole matter of faith, turning to Christ in ongoing trust and faith. Now, faith is another one of those things that's often misunderstood. So for some people, faith is, man, I, you just gotta believe in something. And you know, there's so many different things to believe in. So I don't know, I'm just, it's like a blind leap in the dark. I, I don't know, it's like a flip of the coin. It's like a roll of the dice. You know, heads, it's Jesus, and tails, it's something else. Okay, good, Jesus, it's you, you and me, buddy. Uh, You know, I I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm just going to guess. It's not like that. The faith that we have as a follower of Christ is rooted in God's revelation. We may not like what it says. We may not agree with it. But we're forced to respond to it. What it says about God and about His Son, Jesus Christ, and who we are and how we're to live our life. We can have a certainty in our faith because the Bible tells us all about the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. And so when the scriptures talk about faith, it uses words like being sure and being certain, like in Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's not a blind leap in the dark. And, and certain of what we do not see. There's a confidence to it, not a desperate leap in the dark. The second thing, and this is really an important one, is faith is more than, an, than intellectual assent, than believing certain facts about God to be true in my head. So I go, well, I believe that Jesus is God, and so I believe he died on the cross for my sins, and, and, and I believe that he rose again from the dead. I believe that. But it makes absolute no difference in how I'm living my life. That, that's not what faith is about. Faith is something that gets rooted in our will so that when the Bible starts talking about faith, like in the book of Romans, it talks about the obedience of faith in Romans 1, verse 5. So when the Bible talks about this kind of intellectual assent, it'll, it'll concede the fact. So the demons believe that there is one God in James chapter 2.19. They believe it and they shudder in his presence. But the fact is, They have not changed their allegiance. They are serving the devil himself. They are not serving Christ. What they know to be true about Jesus has fundamentally not made an impact on how they're going about their lives. You see, it's more than placing our faith in the propositions of truths about Christ. It's placing our faith in the person. It's personal in what he's done his work on the cross. And we need to understand that faith is only as good as its object. So we, we get confused in this day of pluralism and tolerance where I'm okay, you're okay, whatever, that's okay, man. As long as you believe, yeah, I believe, man. You know, sincere faith, that's, that's all it is. Just believe whatever you need to believe. You know what? That's not how we do life. And that's not our understanding of faith. in the scriptures, faith is always only as good as it's the object you're placing it in. So you can have faith and be on top of John Hancock building tomorrow and say, I believe I can fly. Man, I can do it. Watch, 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 watch me fly. I can do it. And you and I both know what's going to happen. The laws of gravity will so envelop your faith and we'll know what happened. It's not about how sincere we are, about what can happen or what is true. It's only as good as its object. And the object of our faith is not ourselves. It's Christ, who he is and what he did. So let me give you an illustration of this. There's this tightrope artist named Blondin. He did some of his best stunts over, the, over Niagara Falls. On, on, a, on a given day, he, he'd done all kinds of things, from going across blindfolded to, in this picture, he's got somebody on his back. They're going across. One time, he takes this little camp stove out and he cooks an omelet, he eats it, Packs it all up again and goes to the other side. You know, every time there's a crowd, they're going crazy. One time he wheels a wheelbarrow across and he gets to the other side, just like all the other times he crosses. There's just thunderous applause. People are going crazy, blah, in, blah, in. He says to the crowd, do you think I could do that with a man inside, a person inside? They're going, yeah, but you're blonde and you can do it. Great, get in. Oh, wait wait a minute. I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I I believe you can do that. I don't know if I want to get in that thing. You see the difference? Believing he can do it and climbing in to the wheelbarrow. Man, that's very different. Very different. And saving faith is climbing in the wheelbarrow. It's just leaning in and trusting completely on Christ, surrendering your life to him, following him. That's Faith. It's trusting in Christ alone. And we understand that this faith is a gift from God. It's not something we muster up, Ephesians 2.8. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. We understand that this faith is, is something that grows in close proximity to the hearing of God's word. So in John 20, at the end of his gospel, John writes, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He said, the reason I wrote this is so that you could believe. There's something about faith that is connected to hearing the word of God so that some of us would say, that's exactly what happened. I I was in a place like Door Creek or maybe right here, and, and, and the teachers were explaining the Bible so I'm starting to understand some things. And over the course of time, all of a sudden I got to this point where I go, I get it. I get it. What happened? You're hearing the word of God, and the word of God was growing faith in you. It's a gift that comes in close proximity with the word of God, and at the heart of faith, as we understand it biblically, it's taking God at his word, taking God at his word. Believing what it says is true, obeying his commands, trusting the promises, taking God at his word. When God says you need a savior because you're messed up and you're, you're a sinner and Jesus is the savior who died for you. He rose again. He has a rightful claim over your life. You believe that and you place your faith taking God at his word. Here's what Jesus says about faith. All from the gospel of John. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I'll raise Him up on the last day. John eight twenty four. Jesus, again, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. And then in John 12, He says why people don't always believe. For this reason, they could not believe. Because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. And so the response to the good news is to turn away from sin and to trust in Christ alone. And here's what we need to understand. So close are those in the scriptures that sometimes we find them put together like we did here in Mark 1, 14 and 15 or in Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 when he says, repent and turn to God or what Paul told the uh, Philippian jailer in Acts 16. But a lot of times it'll just be one of them. They'll just say, repent. They'll just say, believe. Because truly, when we truly turn away from sin, we're always turning to Christ in faith. And truly, when we're trusting in Christ alone for salvation, we're always turning away from all the other things that we've been trusting in. You, you can't have one without the other. So this past week, a man called for the pastors of this church to come. He'd been visited the week before, He's nearing the end of his life and he wants to talk to a pastor. So pastors Bob and Cal show up to this man's room. He's intubated. He's unable to speak. And so he's written some questions out. He said, I don't know if I'm ready to face God after death. Can you help me? And there was another line right under that that he'd written out. All my life, I thought I was a Christian. Now I don't know. So they talked about how you can know. They talked about the good news of what we've been talking about today and over the weeks. And and then he asked, so what do I need to do? How do I respond? And so what they talked about then was you got to receive this gift. This is something that God's offering you right now, His Son. And you need to receive it by faith. And as you receive it, you're turning away and you're turning to Him. And so he wrote down, okay, I accept. And he pointed his finger to heaven. He clasped his hands. Thank you, God. And two days later, yesterday morning, that man slipped into eternity, now more alive than he's ever been in the very presence of the God who loves him and sent his son to die for him. You know, there's got to be someone here today who goes, I I don't know the answer. So those are my questions. I don't know how I'm going to do if I face God as a holy judge and I bring my life and the stuff of my life before him I don't know where that's going to get me well you can know you can know today it's as simple as confessing who you are and placing your faith in Christ there's nothing magical about a prayer and a prayer doesn't save us it's faith in Christ that saves us but if that's the disposition of your heart here's how you could express your desire before God God I know I'm a sinner I believe that your son Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins thank you please forgive me and help me change me to follow your son Jesus in every area of my life and to love you with all of my heart I'm going to pray right now and if that's a prayer that you want to pray then I invite you silently to pray along with me the appropriate time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of your great love for us, us rebels who don't deserve this. We thank you so much. It's not about what we do, but what your son has done for us on the cross. And we would ask that your that your kindness would break out here in the hearts and lives of each one here. We pray that you would grant faith even as people have heard your word for the honor of your name, for the sake of your mercy changing another person's life. We pray that you would bring us to great change today. Lord, as we pray together, uh, thank you that you hear us. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Thank you. Please forgive me. Help me. Help me to change so that I follow your son in all of life and love you with all my heart. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer this morning and you've moved from really death to life, from heading to destruction to heading to that which is abundant and full and rich, and we want to help you grow in your new faith, and the best thing that you can do is tell someone about it. After the service, there are going to be some people that are over at that prayer banner that'd love to meet with you and help you grow and maybe give you some literature and I can't give you a better recommendation than jump into that alpha class tomorrow night. Be a great next step.